0: Several months ago, I was in St. Louis, actually, for meetings, a part of my role as youth president. And we were having meetings there. And while, while we were there, somebody suggested that we tour our headquarters building. And I had never toured the building. I had seen the old building, but not the newer building that they got a few years back. And so as we're meandering through the halls of the United Pentecostal Church International Headquarters building... We're moving through the division of publications and sitting outside of somebody's office, there is a stack of the Pentecostal Herald, 100 years of the Jesus name message commemorative issue. Now, I've got a copy of it right here, actually, and I thought it was a little bit strange because this, this issue was from 2013 and it was like late 2021, and so I thought, well, that's a little odd, but but nonetheless, I was kind of eyeing them, and then the guy that was standing there, he said, you know, you can take one of those if you want, and I thought, well, how kind of you, you've got several hundred there, so that's very generous of you, (laughs) So, but I was grateful, so I grabbed one, and and I started to leaf through, and even as I was standing there, my thumb quickly flipped to the final page, and the title of the second-to-last article caught my eye, Pioneering on the Miramichi, Now, I I saw the the title of the article, and before I read anything in the article, I thought, those are my stomping grounds. That's my neck of the woods. That's New Brunswick they're talking about there. I I felt famous, you know. I felt famous. And so as I began to read through the article there a little bit, and then later, I came across a a few really cool things from our history. And this article really is just a little snapshot of what it was like back in the mid-1900s or so, those that pioneered works in New Brunswick and the Atlantic District more broadly. The article begins with the statement, the little church at Hazleton would not hold the crowds. Sounds like revival to me. It so happens, as you read, uh, it tells us about a Baptist lady who played the organ for the Baptist church, but But she played piano for the Pentecostals here at the little church in Hazleton. And her Baptist friends, they made fun of her for going, but she would say to them, as they would say, you know, you must feel like a missionary going to those Pentecostals, trying to win them, you know, to the Baptist way. And she would say, no, I go there because I feel that I I need what they have. And her Baptist husband also went with her, and he would say, If this is of God, I want it. And if it is not of God, I will fight it. But evidently, they were convinced that it was of God, for they were baptized in Jesus' name, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. You read on, the article says the convention at Newcastle Bridge was on. So we got a real large truck, and So many were on the truck that there was no room to sit down. So they had to stand up all the way from Doak Town to Newcastle Bridge. Any Doak Townians, how do you say that, in the house this morning? Anybody from Doak Town? Yeah, I heard a yeah. Okay. Yeah. Quite a number received the Holy Ghost there at the convention. And two received the Spirit on the truck on the way back, standing room only. In the next two or three weeks, about 60 received the Holy Ghost. There would be as many as a thousand people waiting on the old bridge and up and down the shore, waiting for baptism, the article says. And with this outpouring, there came a great spirit of prayer and travail for souls. The men were praying in the woods everywhere. Everywhere. They would cut down a tree and they would make an altar out of the stump. It was not unusual to have many seeking the Holy Ghost. What a hunger in the hearts of the people for the Lord. Clem Hyde, the man who wrote this article, and some of your eld- elderly today, or if you're in the elder generation, you might have known this man. He documented much of the history in our district, and he wrote this article, and he speaks of when C.B. Dudley received the Holy Ghost. He says, I stopped into Brother Dudley's one evening, and he said, You're just in time for family prayer. And there was a lady there that was visiting. She was seeking the Holy Ghost, and Brother Dudley began to pray for her, saying, Lord, fill her. And I said, Campbell, pray for yourself, and the Lord will fill you too. And when I laid my hands on him, he received a mighty baptism with the Holy Ghost. No stammering, but the Holy Ghost just poured out of him and speaking in tongues. And when I left the house, it was a still, cold, frosty night when almost a mile away, I could still hear him talking in tongues in a strong voice. What a time he had. We had two or three prayer meetings every night for a while. We had to have meetings in different homes because of the large numbers seeking the Holy Ghost. Just one or two homes would not accommodate the crowds. They received the Holy Ghost everywhere, in the yards, in the homes, in the barns, everywhere. God poured out His Spirit. Toward the end of the article, the last paragraph there talks about a man named Perry Munn, and he testified that he was going to a spring for a pail of water. And when he started to run, the Holy Ghost came upon him, and he, he said he actually stood on his head. I don't know what that even means, but it sounds powerful. Here he is, touched by the Lord, standing on his head. But here's what's interesting about Perry. Perry could not read or write. But God taught him to read the Bible. Even though simultaneously he could not pick up a newspaper and understand it, he could read the Bible. And Perry ended up going to Durham Bridge. He had revival there. And he built a church. An illiterate man who could read the Bible. Now this is just one article, and it gives us a small snapshot of what things were like back then in the mid-1900s, and I thank God for our history. I thank God that back in the previous century, men and women had a burden for Atlantic Canada, and they preached and they planted churches all up and down the Miramichi River and beyond. I thank God for the rich heritage of the province of New Brunswick and our district more generally. We have been privileged to be able to send missionaries that have spread the gospel literally around the world. And Brother Urshan made mention of that just last evening. We have trained young men and women in our district Bible college, many of whom have continued on to impact the kingdom of God. I thank God for the elders still alive in the different churches around our district. Their commitment and their passion has brought us to where we are today. You know, looking backwards, it's good every once in a while, isn't it? Reflecting and reminiscing, it's good every once in a while. Because it reminds us that we stand on the shoulders of giants. It reminds us that spiritually we dwell in houses we did not build. And we reap from vineyards that we did not plant. We are blessed by prayers that have been prayed, in some cases, decades ago. In some cases by elders that have passed on from this life. But their prayers live on and we benefit. In many ways, our generation is living out the words of Jesus when He spoke of end time harvest. He told us that the fields are white and they are ready to harvest. But here's why they are ready to harvest. John 4.38 I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored. Others that came before you labored. And you are entered into their labors. We're blessed today, aren't we? Aren't you glad for the heritage that we have in the Atlantic District? And so again, I say looking back to celebrate and cherish the past, it is good every once in a while. But I would also say that too much looking back can also be unhealthy. And if we aren't careful, we can idolize the past and think that back then was some golden age and that our current day pales by comparison. It is human nature, after all, to look at the past through rosy-colored glasses and to maximize the good and to minimize the bad. Articles like this, they're wonderful, but they often, like our memories, They highlight the mountaintop experiences, but they neglect to mention the hardships. And that's why too much retrospection can be dangerous, because we can begin to compare our everyday experiences and the daily plodding along of building the kingdom of God to a previous generation's highlight reel. Thankfully, this article gives us a dose of reality as well. And I quote, one night they tried to burn the church down. They threw a bottle filled with gasoline in a window. Lester Brown, a brother who lives across the street, noticed the fire and put it out. We couldn't hold meetings there for a while. We had to go across town to Doak Town proper and hire a place for a while. And here's a statement that you might not see very much in an article talking about the past. They said, and I quote, there were not very many who received the Holy Ghost. They had struggles too. They had hard times and challenges and setbacks too. So let us not make the mistake of idolizing the past. We shouldn't think that the greatest days of revival are behind us as we compare our daily walk with God with the highlight reel of yesteryear. Because that's not what I read in Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. I don't read about revival that dwindles as we get to the end of all this. But I read that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former house. When I read my Bible, God spoke through the prophet and he said, I'm going to do a work in your day the which that if i would even spell it out for you in great detail you would hardly be able to fathom and comprehend what i am going to do and so i claim the promise of the word of god that in the last days saith god i will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh <laughs> come on anybody believe that the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain Anybody believe that the former rain, God called that moderate? And what God is going to do in our day, He's going to cause the former rain and the latter rain to come down together in the first month. Come on, somebody shout revival. Oh, worship the Lord for a moment now, if you believe it. If you're believing God for the promises of His word, that the best He has saved for last. God, we believe that today. We believe that today, Jesus. We believe that today. Whatever your opinion of yesteryear, while we cherish and celebrate the past and all the ways that God moved back then, we can't go back there. As much as we might want to, we probably shouldn't even want to, but we can't. And if we are contented to only ever reminisce about how God moved for our elders all up and down the Miramichi, way back when. And if we talk about Azusa Street in Topeka, Kansas, but we are never able to share our own stories from our own lifetime, then there must be something that stirs us, and we must start asking God to do it again in an even greater measure. We determine our own destiny today. And I love hearing their stories but i want god to give us our own stories for his glory of his miraculous power and so i speak to this generation and say that each generation must cultivate a desire to have their own experiences with god to tell their own stories second hand stories are wonderful And we can maybe feel a tear come to our eye. We can maybe feel moved by the testimonies of previous generations. But nothing can take place, take the place of first-hand experiences. So I rise to this pulpit this morning with a challenge in my spirit for me and to the students and young adults of the Atlantic District. While I thank God for what our elders had and what they passed to us. I am not merely contented to reminisce their stories until Jesus returns. I love their stories, but I want to be able to say here in my generation and here in my lifetime that this is my story. I have a story to tell. Let me tell you about the good things that God has done for me and has done through us. I want to say this is my story. the truth is I'm speaking to students today that don't remember our pioneer preachers. You didn't know them. I'm 30 years old. I've already mentioned the name C.B. Dudley today. And I know he was a great man in our district, a pioneer preacher, a mighty man of God. But C.B. Dudley is just a name to me. I didn't know him. I never heard him preach. I was never exposed to his ministry. I was chatting with my father this week, and he knew him. He fellowshiped with him. He was in meetings where he preached. I know C.B. Dudley's grandson and his great-grandchildren. They attend our church. But I didn't know him. I didn't know him. All I have are stories. All I have are articles like this. I watched a little video clip. He was inducted into the Hall of Faith in our organization. I watched a short video clip that summarized his life in three minutes. That's all I've got. Stories. Stories. And I don't want all the greatest stories of revival to die with that generation. Something must grip this generation. It must. A desire to have our own stories to tell. And I have great faith and great hope in this generation, and I don't believe that the destiny, the epitaph written over this generation is that it will dwindle, but I believe that it is going to grow as a hunger and a burden grips us. In scripture, I read about a young man that had this sort of passion, you know, a passion to write his own story for the glory of God. Let me tell you about a young man named Elisha. You would know Elisha is the young man who followed in the footsteps of his mentor, the prophet Elijah. If you ever get confused about which one came first, they're in alphabetical order, okay? Elijah, Elisha. That one was for free. When we first see Elisha in the Bible, he's just going about his business. He's just living his life, doing his thing, working hard, breaking a sweat, plowing in a field. God sees this young man. God is about to give him an opportunity to step into his destiny. Because God is about to bring Elisha, the young man, in contact with Elijah, representing the older generation. And 1 Kings 19.19 tells us of this initial meeting. So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing in a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in that field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah, the man of God, the elder, the prophet, he goes over to this young man, Elisha. The Bible says that he threw his cloak across his shoulders, his mantle, representing the anointing that rested upon that older man's life. And then he simply walked away. He struck him on the back, and he walked away. But there was something about that moment that impacted Elisha so very much. This was the first time that he felt the touch of the mantle of Elijah. And in this moment, he felt calling, and he felt destiny. And Elisha knew, the young man, that he wanted whatever that older generation had. Whatever he felt in this moment, maybe he couldn't even quantify it or put it into words what he felt, but he just knew that he wanted to pursue it. He just knew that he wanted what this man of God, this prophet named Elijah, he wanted what he had. And I think this morning, as we read stories like we did just a few moments ago about our elders, I think it's a lot like that moment for Elisha. We are touched by the mantle of a previous generation. The passion that the elders possessed, as we read and as we reminisce, it's as if that mantle, it strikes our heart and it challenges us likewise to pursue. And in this moment, Elisha has a choice. Do I just want to be touched or do I want to pursue? See, I don't want to just be touched today. I don't want to just feel warm and fuzzy feelings and maybe shed a tear about the past and then move on with my life and just go back to plowing the field and get behind those oxen. Just carry on with my life. When something like this happens in your life, when a word is spoken, and as we feel what we felt just a few moments ago, as we reminisced our past, let me tell you, there's only one proper response, and it was Elisha's response. He says, I will go with you. Because I am willing to pursue whatever you have a hold of. I want what you have, and so I will go. And the words of the prophet ring in my ears today. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And the response is always, here I am, Lord. Send me. I will go. I will go because I want it. I want it for me. I want it in my life. I want it for my generation. I want a story. To tell. Now, now, Elijah, he kind of cautions the young man and he says, you know, just, just take a minute and think about what you've committed to. Count the cost of what, it, of what it is to follow in my footsteps and to show how serious he was. Elisha slaughters his oxen and then he takes that plow that he was plowing with and he uses it as fuel for fire and he roasts the flesh of those oxen. Offering it, as it were, as a sacrifice before the Lord. And I think in a practical sense, perhaps the reason he did that was was so that he would have nothing to go back to. No backup plans. No safety nets. No plan B's. I am all in. I am all in. I am sold out. I want this. This is all that matters. This is all that matters. Can I tell you that God can use somebody like that? That God can place His hand upon a life that is fully consecrated and fully dedicated and in full pursuit of His calling? So we say all in. All in. Because what this generation needs is not someone who is partially committed to the kingdom cause. We don't need students that treat their walk with God like an add-on or an expansion pack to an already full life. Jesus calls us to complete surrender, burn the plow, slaughter the oxen, give it all for the glory of God. What is it that Jesus said? Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you keep the plow sitting in the corner, if you store it in the barn and you put your oxen into into the pasture somewhere, and if you leave all your life intact, Jesus said you'll lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you'll save it. And what a beautiful life Elisha would end up living. What a powerful life Elisha would end up living because he was sold out and all in for the glory of God. And so Elisha, he leaves what is familiar and he goes to serve the man of God. And we don't know many of the specifics of the relationship but, it, but uh, between Elijah and Elisha. All we really know is that probably for some ten years, theologians, some suggest, a decade of time, the young man served the elder. And they did almost everything together. Some believe that they even lived together. They spent a lot of time together. And Elisha was just so hungry to be used by God. No cost was too great. He just wanted to be in the middle of everything Elijah was doing. And he wanted the mantle of anointing that was upon that elder. Because he never forgot that moment. He never forgot that moment when he felt the touch of the mantle of a previous generation. So he followed Elijah, and as he did, the desire in his heart grew. I think, you know, what a privilege to have a front row seat to the ministry of a mighty man of God. He had seen many of the miracles performed by Elijah, and the ones he had not seen. I can only imagine, with experience as great as Elijah had, that Elijah would have shared them. And Elijah would have heard the stories. I'm sure Elijah would have spoken at length, About, you know, kind of pointing his finger at Ahab. Saying, it's not going to rain. And he prayed a prayer. And then for 42 months, three and a half years, there was no rain that fell. Boy, let me tell you. It was amazing how God moved. And then during the drought and the ensuing famine as Elijah is camped there at the brook Cherith. I'm sure that Elijah reminisced and recounted about the ravens that brought him hamburgers twice a day. I don't think I'm taking too much liberty with the text. The Bible says bread and meat. That's a hamburger. Twice a day, free food. Elisha, let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. And then when the brook dries up, and God redirects Elijah's path in contact with a widow, it's about to make her last meal for her son and herself, Instead, she makes a cake for the prophet first and how the jar of flour and the jug of oil, they never ran out. Elisha, let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. I've got a story to tell you, boy. Let me tell you about the time that I went toe-to-toe with 850 pagan prophets. And their pagan gods and their false gods, they wouldn't answer them. But Jehovah, he answered by fire. And he consumed the sacrifice and the water and the stones of the altar. I've got a story to tell you, Elisha. God's been good to me. God's been faithful to me. God's never let me down. God's never forsaken me and never seen me go without. And I imagine after a while that that Elisha, he would have been able to tell these stories as well as his mentor. And if somebody would ask about the Mount Carmel contest, Elisha could tell somebody. Elisha could talk about the ravens and the hamburgers, you know. He had no trouble sharing the stories of his elder to anybody that wanted to hear. But There would soon come a day when his mentor would leave. And the older generation would no longer be present. And Elisha had a choice. Will I let that type of sold out commitment die with my predecessor? Or will I carry that mantle for my generation? Will I just tell the stories from the older generation? Am I going to only reminisce about all the ways God used Elijah? Or am I going to ask God to move now and use me too? I'll just say it again, we can easily idolize those who came before us, and I am all for honoring our elders, and I'm all for paying respect, but can I tell you the truth? They were normal people. They were normal people. That sounds almost sacrilegious to say, but they were normal people. But they had an abnormal, uncommon hunger for the things of God. That's the only thing abnormal about them. They were passionate about the kingdom. But they were normal. And James, in the New Testament, he's talking about Elijah from the Old Testament. And he says, Elijah was as human as we are. Elijah was normal. The King James says that he was a man who was subject to like passions just like we are. Elijah was a normal guy who faced the same problems we do. Which brings me great comfort and hope today. Because I've got issues too and so do you. And you read Elijah's story, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm adding anything too much to the text of Scripture, but, but it seems that Elijah wrestled with things like depression and fear and anxiety and loneliness. Elijah was a pessimist. Any recovering pessimists in the room? The Lord can help us. He was a pessimist. God, I'm the only one serving you. God's like, shut up. There's like 7,000 others who haven't bowed in Israel. You're the only one. Yeah, right. Elijah, being challenged by Jezebel, he's sitting there under a juniper tree all alone. And Elijah wrestled with suicidal thoughts. God, kill me. I don't even think that I ought to be here anymore, God. He was normal. He faced problems, too. However, James goes on and says, and yet when he prayed earnestly... See, he was normal, but there was something uncommon about him. He had an uncommon passion and pursuit for the things of God. And as a result, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then he prayed again. and The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. In many ways he was normal, but let me tell you, despite that, Elijah was able to experience the power of God. And we talk about his miracles, and we forget That he was just an average, ordinary guy that faced issues just like you and I. And if we idolize people like Elijah, or if we idolize people like our elders, those we idolize can bring intimidation. Because we think we're too normal. We think we're just average, run-of-the-mill people. And we couldn't accomplish what they accomplished. But they were average, run-of-the-mill, ordinary people. And they did great things for God, so I think that I can too. I think that this generation can too. If Elijah could pray and no rain fell, if Elijah could call down fire from heaven and he had all those issues, I believe that we can call down fire in the 21st century and we can see God pour out his spirit. Come on, do I got a witness in the house? Come on, you don't have to have everything put together. All you need is an uncommon desire for the things of God. Can I declare to you right now and tell you that the same God that moved mightily through Elijah, He is able and ready to empower Elisha. The same God that used passionate people in the 20th century. He is ready and He is able to use passionate people in the 21st century. And how God moved in a previous generation, God is able and He desires to do even more. Oh, somebody shout right now. If you believe it, somebody shout right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. But it doesn't happen just because it's in our heritage. We don't get a buy on this one. We don't get a bye. Each successive generation must cultivate this desire. And it only happens when we get hungry. Like Elisha was hungry. In the final moments of Elijah's life, the older man, as that older generation is slipping away, the younger generation, the Elisha generation, they must decide whether they will carry the mantle of Elijah for their generation, or whether they will just leave it lying on the floor. The Bible tells us in Second Kings 2, verse 8, the waning final moments of Elijah's life. The Bible says that Elijah took his mantle, we're going to say the mantle, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters of the Jordan, and they were divided hither and thither. So that they too, Elijah and Elisha, they went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Young man, young lady, what do you want? What are you hungry for? What is your desire before I be taken away? What do you want? And Elisha said, I pray thee. Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. You might think that Elisha was being arrogant, but, but Elisha wasn't being haughty. Elisha was hungry. He was hungry. I want to see greater things in my generation. Didn't Jesus say, you'll do greater things, greater work shall ye do? I want to see greater things. Jesus said we have, we have permission to, to believe for that. We have permission and precedent in Scripture to believe God for that. We, we can ask God, give us a double portion of what our elders had. You can pray a prayer like that today. Let a double portion of what they had be upon me. So soon Elijah, he's caught up in a whirlwind to heaven. And the mantle of Elijah falls back down to earth. The Bible says that Elisha took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. The same river that they just crossed. The same river that was just miraculously parted by the prophet. Elisha goes back with that same mantle of anointing. The mantle of his mentor. He laid hold of the heritage that was passed to him. And he did what he saw Elijah do. Because if you want the results of the previous generation, you have to do the same things that the previous generation did. They were normal folk, but they were faithful people of prayer. They were bold in the face of adversity. They loved the Word of God, and they were faithful to the house of God. If you want what the elder generation had... You've got to do the same things that the elders did. You've got to be a person of prayer. You've got to be somebody that loves the Word of God. You've got to be faithful to the house of God. And you must be bold in the face of whatever hell might throw your way. You've got to smite the waters just like they smote the waters. And, and, the, and the words he spoke, the prayer he prayed, this really is the heartbeat, the heart's cry of this message today. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. He smote the waters and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of C.B. Dudley? Where is the Lord God of Milford and Marguerite Stairs? Where is the Lord God of... E.L. Jackson, where is the Lord God of G.A. Mangan and N.A. Urshan? Where is the Lord God of that previous generation? It is a cry of reflection, and it's a cry of retrospection looking back, but it's also a cry that says, God, I want to see you do it again. God, I want to see you do it in my day. Do it in my generation. Do it through me, God. I saw you do it for him and I believe you can do it for me. And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over what he prayed for God to do again. God honored that request. God honored that hunger, and God moved for the young man like he moved for the older man. And I get ready to close. Music, if you want to join me. Just play softly behind me. Elisha's life teaches us we are the products of the things that we pursue. You see, we're going to pray in this altar in a few moments and that's wonderful. And I believe that God is going to do a mighty thing. But it's not just about what happens here today. It's about the pursuit of your life. What are you walking after day by day? What are you pursuing today? What are you pursuing? Are you are you just pursuing status quo, the oxen, the plow? Are you pursuing temporal pleasures? Are you pursuing your will over God's will, your agenda over God's kingdom? What are you pursuing? Because we are the products of the things we pursue. And you might think, well, I can't pursue the things of God. I, I've got I've got responsibilities and I've got plans. I've got things that I want to achieve in my life. Can I tell you, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. You won't have to worry. You won't have to worry about tomorrow and worry about the provision. If you will seek God's kingdom first, if you will pursue the kingdom of God, I'm telling you that God will honor that hunger and God will bless that hunger and imagine the life that Elisha would have missed out on if he would have chosen not to pursue the man of God. We are the products of the things we pursue. Many years later, Elisha, he's growing old. and He has been used mightily in his generation. The mantle of the elder has rested upon him. And he did receive a double portion because Scripture shows us that he did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And later on, when he's getting toward the end of his life, Elisha was mentoring a young man named Gehazi. Similar to how Elijah had mentored him, he was mentoring this young man named Gehazi. There was a level of commitment that Gehazi did not have. Because of it, he missed out with God. There's a story in 2 Kings 5 where Gehazi, this young man, this lackluster, spiritually speaking young man, he pursues the treasures of Naaman. and Naaman was known as being a leper. And as a result of Gehazi pursuing Naaman, Gehazi himself becomes a leper. And you can see the contrast in scripture here. How Elisha pursued Elijah. And then Gehazi pursued Naaman. He should have pursued Elisha. He should have pursued the things of God embodied in his mentor. But he didn't. He pursued Naaman. The name Naaman, it means pleasantness or pleasures. Gehazi pursued pleasures. Rather than the things of God. Elisha desired above all else for God's miraculous provision, but Gehazi was more interested in material possessions. The gifts of this pagan army commander named Naaman. Can I say again, we are all the products of the things we pursue. What we pursue shapes us and defines us. Elisha pursued the man of God and the miraculous, and in doing so, he received a mantle Of anointing for his generation but Gehazi who could have done the same thing Gehazi could have had a double portion of Elisha's mantle yet again a double portion could have become yet another double portion because as the anointing flows it grows and God had a desire to do an even greater work in this yet younger generation again But he missed it. He could have done the same thing. He could have had the same thing. He could have had the the same powerful, beautiful life and the same powerful, amazing stories. But instead, he pursued Naaman's gift and in so doing received Naaman's disease, leprosy, sin. We are all the products of the things we pursue. The problem in this generation is we have so many things that we can pursue. There are so many things that vie for your attention, so many things that try to distract you and to dissuade you from focusing on God's call for your life. So many things. Some things that aren't sinful inherently, but they're just not God's will for you. And and the enemy would love nothing more than to get you pursuing something that is outside the will of God for your life and in the process dismantle you. Dismantle you. Remove what God wants to do through your life. To try and convince us that what our elders had, we don't need that. What they had was great, but it's not worth the sacrifice. What they had was great, and I'm content to just talk about what they had. I don't need it for myself. There's a very sobering scripture, and I am hastening to a close here. 2 Kings 8 and 4. The king talked with Gehazi. Watch this the servant of the man of God. He's talking to this young man, the servant of Elisha. And he said, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And you will never read about the name Gehazi again after this point in Scripture. The last we hear about this young protege of Elisha, he is looking backward, talking about all the things Elisha had done. Merely looking back at what the previous generation had accomplished without much concern for how he could contribute in his generation. He was telling the stories of the elder, but he wasn't telling his own stories. The stories of God's glory did not continue in this young man's life. What a tragedy. Can I just declare... I want to have my own stories. I want to be able to say, hey, this, I'm thankful for these stories, but this is my story. This is my story. Let me tell you about the faithfulness of God in my life. Let me tell you about when I shared my testimony when I spoke of the goodness of Jesus in my community and in my school let me tell you it gripped the heart of a student that I've been going to math class with and God turned their life around and they're baptized in Jesus name and they've been coming to church and God just filled them with the Holy Ghost let me tell you what God has done stand together with me this morning You know, the mantle, I would say the mantles of the elders, they're always falling. They're always falling. Their prayers are swirling. And the anointing that they possessed, a double portion, is available for us today. Elijah was caught up. His mantle falls back down. But it is implied from the scripture that the mantle of Elijah, it didn't fall on Elisha. It didn't just kind of Casually, easily just rest on him no 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 it fell near him because he had to pick it up he had to put an effort in he was within the proximity of it but he had to make a choice am I just going to cross back over the Jordan River using a boat or over a bridge or am I going to trust God for the same miraculous power that my elder had believe God for something in my life And I'm just telling you this morning what I've prayed and what I feel in the Spirit is that we have a choice, that the mantles of anointing that rested on great men and women of God from generations gone by. They are in this room today. There's a touch of God's anointing that is falling in this sanctuary this morning. And I wonder if there's any young person, young man, young woman, I wonder if there's a student pastor or somebody in the sanctuary that would say, hey, I want one of those mantles. I wonder if there'd be anybody that would step out of your seat right now and say, I want to get a hold of what our elders had. I want to see something happen in my generation. Because I want to tell my own story. I want to tell my own story. This is beautiful this morning. Can we make room for everybody that's coming? Can we just step forward toward the altar right now? Let's make room for as many as can to get in this altar today. And as you come with your prayer, with a cry of passion, I wonder if you can let that same that same spirit that Elisha had. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I wonder if you can pray a prayer like that and say, Lord, what our elders had, I don't want it to die with them. The testimonies of outpouring that I heard today, I don't want it to die with them. So God, do it through me. Do it in my generation. Do it through us. God, do it in this end time age. Lord, we want to see you use us today. Oh, somebody just strike the strike the waters today. Somebody get a hold of that this morning and strike the waters today. Oh, somebody just strike the waters today.